Our previous transmission mode was too primitive to be received. I am now programming our computer to transmit lingua code at their frequency and rate of speed. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Starship Enterprise, there's someone who's in Satan's guise, whose devil ears and devil eyes. What happened? The occipital area of my head seems to have impacted with the arm of the chair. I found this on Ganaroom, Ganamir. What is it? Well, it's, um... It's green. Mr. Spock has orders to kill you, Captain. He will succeed. Apparently. Not a magician, Spock. Just an old country doctor. Of course, Doctor. The Garden of Eden was just outside Moscow. A very nice place. I'm Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk! I'm Captain Kirk! to boldly go where no man has gone before. Hello, and welcome to a long overdue new episode of Third Degree Burn. A return uh, to greatness. Uh, it's right. That's <laughs> right. Des- despite rumors, we have not stopped podcasting. But uh, this ha- There has been a-, a bit of a lag between episodes, but... That's what happens when you're you're doing this for free and you're just doing it for the fun of it. Uh, life gets in the way. You know, you got to mow the yard, you got to fix the house every occasionally. You know, you got to work overtime sometimes. But uh, I am Tim Elliott. Still, uh, is with me as always. Is still Brian Hughes. Hi everybody. Hello everybody. Yeah, it's it's um, you know, this is one of those things you're gonna see the behind the podcast. You know, like behind the music specials yeah. <laughs> uh, behind the podcast. And Brian and Tim got to a rough patch in their relationship <laughs> as Third Degree Burn took a small hiatus. That's right. It's, it's going to be like they're breaking up the Beatles. It's like Brian There were and- rumors. There were rumors <laughs> that, that they were both unhappy. Brian was being seen on <laughs> other podcasts. Tim that, was on I, vacation. I was I was, I was hanging out with other podcasters. I was I was with the core of the Two True Freaks organization uh, up in New York, and that was a, a, a wonderful time was had by all. I got to meet a lot of new people. We had uh, Dario Gonzalez invited his, his house, uh, and we had a great little cookout with some. We had to, uh, Chris Honeywell to show off his uh, culinary skills, and we had just had some of the best food. He cooked some ribs. He cooked some brisket. And it was just, oh, we had some great desserts. It was just, you know, guys hanging out, great food, a lot of good conversation. Uh, some good cigars were enjoyed by those that enjoy a good cigar. Did they have Cubans there? I don't know. He Dario had them, and he gave one to Paul and uh, Dave. But those only three, uh, three I think, that smoked them. But uh, Dario's got a cool little, he kind of lives like a little row house. It's, it's uh, maybe... A dozen kind of row houses, you know, they're connected, but they're they're all individual houses, and they've got their own garages behind it. And he's got his little garage that is kind of the um, the 
kind of the man cave. It's just got all kinds of cool little, his little collections in it. So he just opens that up, and these guys do it all the time, I guess, because all, all the neighbors know each other. You know, they're all flight attendants. Oh, cool. They live along there. So they just have these cookouts. He said like once a month, and they just, everybody comes out, and they just bring out the smokers and the and the grills, and they all kind of pitch in and cook and just have a great time. So it was, uh, that was, I would say that was the highlight of, because we didn't go to the con this year, because the con right. was um, switched weekend, so basically it was just a meetup. But we went to the museum, we met at uh, Flushing Meadows again, and so we uh, got to, that's kind of the uh, the freak uh, the central there. Yeah, the home base. Home base. <laughs> and we went actually went into the museum this time. It's the last time we didn't get to go in, and we kind of went around there, and we didn't see as much of the grounds, and then we got to went over to Paul's house that night and had some good New York pizza and recorded a commentary and then Dario's and then we all went into Manhattan on Saturday and got a, uh, a guided tour by uh, Paul and uh, and I forgive me I can't remember his name a friend of his that lives in New York too took us around to a couple comic shops and we went to Times Square and Midtown Comics and the top of the Empire State Building and uh, it was it was a lot of fun yeah, it, it it looked like it was a lot of fun. I I wish I could have gone. It just didn't work out for me. Well, there's there's always there's always next year. Yes, next year. I, I don't know what they're gonna if they're gonna have a because next year, I think we're kind of counting because I'm going to celebration, which is in Orlando in. Well, I, that's April. and I've heard that there was a lot of talk about having having to get together in Orlando next year. Yeah, rather than New York. I don't know who else is going to celebration. Uh, we're going because we already have our tickets, but uh, which is going to be kind of a back to back for us because we kind of picked our time for going to Japan, which is around uh, going to be uh, late March, I believe. So we're going to be coming back from Japan, and then a couple weeks later, we're going to be going to Orlando for that. But that'll be more of a like a long weekend. But yeah, uh, I mean, Gardner will be there, of course, and uh, I'm sure. Uh, Blanking everybody's name. Uh, Scott Rifen will come down. Yeah, I don't know if anybody. I don't know who else is going to make it or not. Probably well, Dave well, Embry. Doctor Bill lives in that area too, as I understand. Yeah, yeah, he'll come so up he'd, from. He'd show up. I guess and... come up from Tampa. I guess he's south of him. And he'll come up from Tampa. So yeah. that'll at least be those three. And I'm sure. I think Dave Embry goes to most of the celebrations, so he'll probably come out to that. Yeah, I, I definitely want to make it out there, and, and Orlando definitely uh, has a lot to offer. So. Uh, there's a, a lot of reasons to go there, so yeah, take the kid. Cool. He'll love it. He'll love it. So, uh, as we speak, uh, it is the, as I understand it, the end of the 50th anniversary Star Trek convention that's going on in Las Vegas right now. Uh, John Byrne, the guy for which this podcast is about, True. is is out there. He is signing any Star Trek book that you bring up there. He's signing autographs taking pictures he's not charging a thing for That's any cool. of the stuff that he's doing out there and if you handle it right if you don't have anything for him to sign he'd probably give you something the thing is if you walk up to him and say I hear you giving out free stuff he's not going to give you something no. but if you deal you know you deal with him you know respectfully and with a little class, you know, yeah, he definitely uh, rewards that. So, uh, but but I've heard nothing but but good things, and it's uh, as, as I've heard, it's been a pretty pretty good con. 
So, uh, I, you know, it's like it's one of those things I wish I could have gone, but I don't think I'm going to have money again, at least until I'm 60. <laughs> until you retire, then you have no more money left. You're really <clears throat> well, no, I mean, you know, it's like until Christopher can get out of college, and actually I, I, I'll say probably 63, because that's how old it'll be when he could graduate college. If he does at that point, he's already saying he wants to go to college uh, though he changes what he wants to study every couple of weeks. He's looking at archaeology right now, but you, you never know what it'll be you know, a year from now. He's also talked about trying to invent things because he'd like to make things easier for everyone. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Kind of a uh, uh, world uh, Tomorrowland kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And for, fortunately, I haven't had my sense of wonder taken from me, so I can encourage... You know that kind of uh, thought. That's that's great. I mean, I mean, you must be this being like the first week of August. You must be gearing up for him to start back up school. Yeah, we've been buying clothes and you know all the other stuff that we have to do, and we're trying to find out who his teacher is because he had a really bad teacher last year. Hmm. Was he? What grade is he going into? He'll be in, he'll be in fourth grade. Oh, yeah, and. Uh, you know, the the other uh, obsession, of course, for all the kids, and we talked about this earlier, is uh, Pokemon Go. And uh, he and his mom have just been absorbed in it. And every night, uh, I, I go out with him and I'll walk with him as, as we do a lot of this. But most of the part, I, I'd really sat out and just let them deal with it, you know. Yeah. And and I was sick recently and they we'd go out for hours at a time, come back real late, and they just had so much fun doing it. And I went out with them. I went out last night with my wife uh, as her son was doing a sleepover, and I got to uh, play Pokemon Go for a little bit last night. It was actually kind of fun. I, I think it's a great idea. I wish they would make a Star Trek version of it. I was just thinking that. Is if they had somebody you were out catching Tribbles or Gorns or Hordas or stuff like that, I'd be all over it. And, and that's easily what they could do. They could they could use all the Star Trek races. They could use all the different creatures. You, you could get a Mugatu. Mugatu, yeah. Mugato, whatever. Mugato, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many opportunities they have to do that for uh, so many different things. I understand they're actually coming out with a Harry Potter Go game. I can see that, and I can play that. I mean, I've I've, I've read all the Harry Potter books multiple times, and uh, uh, like like a lot of that. So, uh, and Christopher's getting into that too. So that's um, you know another thing we can share. So yeah, there's a lot lot a uh, lot of fun there. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Harry the, the Pokemon goes it's a great idea as long as you don't get carried away with it or you know you hear these stories of people walking into traffic and just being really reckless with it it's like well you can it just shows you can take anything to the extreme and it can become dangerous so I mean, don't don't get run over by a car looking for whatever yeah. you're looking for <laughs> and the thing is if you go if you go to a park uh, there's a place here it's uh, Bedford's Boy, Bedford Boys Ranch and it's got a number of different types of parks, playgrounds, lakes, uh, different areas for picnicking and, and you know, and all this. And then they've got a water park right next to it that's done by the city. And just you'll go out there any night of the week and there can be hundreds of people out there just playing Pokemon. And so there's, it's like you can sit there and watch this migration as they move about the park area. Okay. And you can tell, okay, something just became available over there. Okay, they got something over there. And, you know, my wife and kid, they'll just go over to the area. What, what are you all finding? It's like, hey, there's Pikachu here. Or there's, you know, this character there. 
and uh, get all your widgies. And I'm just like, okay, it's Charlie Brown's teacher talking over my head again. Wah, 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 wah. Exactly. Well, but they love it. Yeah, well, apparently where my... Uh, I have a co-worker that really gets into it. And apparently where my wife works... She, we work for the same company, but she works in like the corporate office. And that is a... It's like a hub. It's like a, a gym or a... Or yeah, a, a gym. A hot yeah. spot or whatever it is. Oh, So there are people that can just kind of sit at their desk and have their phone on it just collecting... Pokeballs. Pokeballs. They sit there all day and it just r- rings, racking them up, so... Yeah, that's, you know, and that's that's the one thing is like um, having them by places of work seems to be to be not not very good. It's counterproductive and can, I, I think you can get a lot of people in trouble. And I know there's already companies where they've told their people you cannot play Pokemon <laughs> Go on premises. And uh, of course, you know, in uh, I work from home and our neighborhood is like just completely bereft of anything Pokemon. Unless you go two blocks in any direction, and then you'll start seeing stuff. Any church is a, a Poke Stop where you can pick up Pokeballs, and all the parks and everything are just usually littered with. Yeah, uh, I knew that there were certain areas stuff. like you could go to that were had. Uh, my thing is, I just don't need anything else that's gonna, you know, I have enough stuff that's de- that's that's uh, taking your time. demanding my attention. I yeah. don't know if I need anything else that. And that's not you know if it's a Star Trek thing I'd do it it's, it's to me it's like um, Angry Birds I, I kind of got in that wagon and thought oh this is a really fun game but after you play it for about two weeks you're like okay that's it <laughs> yeah and it, and I understand there's a guy that has traveled all around the world and he has gotten all the Pokemon the only place he hasn't gone is North Korea obviously and I don't know how the placement works you know what what, what they use to decide how uh, the the pokeballs and all the various creatures, you know, show up in there. But it's uh, it's it's really something interesting. But yeah, if they did a Star Trek one, I could see people walking around in red, blue, and gold shirts. Because it's funny because in the Pokemon game, they've got the red, yellow, and blue teams. I think it's Valor, Mystic, and something else. What's the other one? Um, there's a red. Um Yellow blue. Yeah, but so what's the team names? There's Valor, there's Mystic, and what else? Okay, um, Instinct is Instinct, yellow. that's right. Okay. Instinct but, is yellow. yeah, and he just walked into a room here. Well, he's the pokey expert. Yeah, he's the pokey expert. But, I mean, you could simply have the red, blue, and gold Star Trek shirts, and everybody be walking around with their phones like they're tricorders. Yeah, yeah. And it just, <laughs> just like... Why hasn't this been done yet? Someone did tell me that they tried something like this like two years ago with Star Trek, but uh, it mm. died out. They didn't. They didn't get enough traction on it. But anyway, uh, you know that's that's that. This isn't the Pokemon show uh, on the Two True Freaks Network. No, no you, uh, you think we were sponsored by Pokemon? I want some of that Pokemon money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I, I was going to uh, talk to Hope Molinax and see if she had any interest. I found a guy that just is so knowledgeable really high level character he had and uh he was just like he'd love to sit there and just talk about it so i was going to see if she had any interest in maybe coming together with scott mcgregor on a a no consoles uh pokemon episode yeah because there is so much pokemon gaming on computer and console and everything as it is and that could just take up a, a segment of that but I might might just uh, frame it as an interview. But I'll talk to Scott and figure out you know if he wants to do that. Yeah. But I know Hope uh, has had some interest in Pokemon. At least I thought she did. I hope I'm not wrong there. Anyway, 
That being said, I think we should move along to uh, what are we covering today, Tim? We are covering Star Trek Crew, issue number one, called Shakedown. Shakedown, shakedown, breakdown. <laughs> I'm starting to hear that. Oh, is that Bob Seger that did that song for Beverly that, Hills Cop? I think it's a Bob. It sounds like a Bob Seger. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the the episode proper, because I have to, I have to ask, because we were going to do a. If we still want to do a show on this, we can. What? We tried to, but we couldn't get it. We were going to talk about the new Star Trek. Star, Star Trek, Trek Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek Beyond. You know, um, and I forgot to bring this up. You know, I, I saw that movie and I really enjoyed it. And um, my friend Andrew Harrison, who run, is uh, one of the owners of Insane Comics, has uh, given an open invitation for us to come into the shop at any time we want to record there. And it would be great to get the guys to come in, you know, Frank, Canepa, Mike Carlisle, the usual suspects. To, to go in there, and uh, Andrew himself wanted to uh, participate in the discussion as well. Well, do you want to we'll table that until we can do it, or I I think that we can sit there and pardon me, uh, we can sit there and do uh, a a roundtable discussion, not just to Star Trek Beyond, but Suicide Squad. Uh, you know, I went and saw Suicide Squad Thursday night, and I, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what the reviewers are talking about. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Now, there are people that won't see it because it's not the characters as they recognize them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any problem with it. I did not have any problem with the Joker, or Harley Quinn, or Deadshot, um, Enchantress. She was always to me like a B-level character in the the Supergirl stories. I'd I'd read some of them, but I didn't have any problem with this interpretation of it. You know, when you're dealing with magical characters, you know you you know it, it's always going to be a modern day interpretation of it. Yeah. Because back in the day when I read the Supergirl comics that had her, you know, she wore like a, a green witch's robe with the green witch's hat, you know, and. Uh, you know, I just that wouldn't translate today very well. Well, I just I haven't I haven't seen Suicide Squad, and I I'll be honest, I really have don't have a strong interest in seeing it because I don't. That's not kind of my those aren't my characters, and it's not kind of my. I don't think I've ever read anything. I know I haven't read anything Suicide Squad. Well, I I never read anything regarding Guardians of the Galaxy before it came out, and that movie was just freaking awesome. Yeah. You know. Well, and and to me, this is DC's Guardians of the Galaxy. Exactly, and, but to me that, and this is just my impression from the. Like I said, I haven't seen the films. It's strictly my impression of seeing the trailers. Mm-hmm. It feels like a direct reaction to Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like that they saw that film, they saw what the kind of money it was doing. Oh, what kind of quirky, uh, irreverent type of uh, group can we put together for DC that will mimic that? But that's not that's not what it was. Um, the fact of the matter is, if you look at any of David Ayer's other stuff and a Watcher, uh, any of his other work, you, you're not seeing that kind of uh, dynamic in the characters and whatnot. Um, his, you know, that he had put together a pretty serious movie, and it was only after getting all the complaints on Batman v Superman on how serious and dark it was that they go in and do reshoots, adding a little bit, injecting a little bit more humor. Now, I'll tell you, 
I tell you, it was uh, seamless. I couldn't sit. I, I couldn't sit there and watch a scene and sit there and say, "Oh, they added this months later." Everything, you know, looked like it was all put together when it was put together. Um, well, it, it it just depends on. Really, it depends on your. Because honestly, movie, you know, whether you like a movie or not is, is so subjective. Because you could love something and I could hate it, and vice versa. Right. But. Uh, it's it just felt like, and again, maybe it's just the way they were marketing it. It felt mm-hmm. like it was a direct reaction to Guardians, and it felt like if they had more time, they would have upped it to probably an R rating to pull in some of that Deadpool money. Because you know that's, I mean, they, they have, I haven't read to confirm this, but to me that's the reason why the the this last Wolverine movie they're going to do is yeah. going to be R rated. To me, it's because they're reacting to the kind of money that Deadpool did, showing that, well, it doesn't have to be PG-13. You know, you can still pull in some big box office with an R-rated film. So that, to me, that's that's a connection there. But uh, it, it just, have you ever listened to a podcast called uh, How This Get Made? It's a Paul Shear. No, no, Paul I Shear does it, and um, you know who Paul Shear is, right? No, He's I He's a comedian. Actually... If you saw his face, you'd probably know him. Uh, yeah. He does it with um, his wife. And um, Jason uh, Manzukas, who used to be on the league, if you ever watched that show. Anyway, he's a comedian too and an actor. Anyway, they may basically kind of do an MST version. They'll pick a film and they'll kind of just talk, you know, kind of make fun of it. Well, the last two they did, they just did the Phantom, and before that they did the Shadow, and and these are not. And Paul Shear's kind of a comic book fan. He actually wrote a comic. Uh, he wrote a Deadpool comic, and he also wrote one called uh, Parker vs. Aliens. So he's familiar with the comic book genre, but they really tore apart those two films as being not making sense and just being kind of goofy and uh, not being very it, successful. And I like both of those films. Is he... Um, was he on Adventure Time? He may have done a voice. He, yeah. uh, Wet Hot on, American Summer. And... Maybe. He's on... Uh, Fresh off the boat. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's he's that. He's bald. He's that. Plays that. Yeah. And he was in uh, Piranha 3D. You saw that? <laughs> no, I did not see that. Um, but no, I, I know who you're talking about here. Boy, this guy's been in a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and that's just in the last five years. And I'm just going, wow. But you know, it's funny. His face doesn't stick out to me. As someone that I, you know, recognize or, or anything. Now, as a writer, um, looks like he's been pretty prolific. Um, but again, not stuff that uh, I've gone out of my way in the last couple of years to, to watch. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's, uh, let me ask you this question on something I have because I haven't seen Suicide Squad. What's that? Uh, have you seen Ghostbusters? Yes. I have a kid. Huh? You have a kid? It's true. I have a kid. I forgot you're you're contractually obligated to go see that. Uh, What did you think? Uh, You know, if... If you don't have the history of Ghostbusters sitting on you... uh, I I mean, to me, the original Ghostbusters was one of those few movies that I I sit there and and, and anoint as a perfect movie. Oh, yeah. I'll agree with that. Um... So, and, and it was just that perfect confluence of everything at the same time hitting just right. And it still, to me, is timeless. I don't, I don't see that one as being one that's stuck in the 80s 
as it was. But that movie came out when I was 18 years old, graduating high school, getting start getting ready to start college. You got all that free time. You've got disposable income. And I, I must have seen Ghostbusters in the theater at least six times. And that, you know, it's like there's there's a few movies that I did that with. Uh, Superman, Star Wars, any of the Star Wars movies. Uh, Jaws. Uh, and, and that. And um, just, and then a couple of visits to Rocky Horror Picture Show. I couldn't count how many times. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just this movie... I watched once. It was fun. Uh, the only thing I would have done is I would have gotten rid of Chris Hemsworth. I, I didn't care for what they did with him in that movie. I thought that was just kind of a waste of screen time. But the rest of the movie was just kind of, okay, yeah, it was fun. It's funny. had its moments. I liked all the secondary characters more than Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, though. I, You know, they were as useful to the the movie is adam sandler was to pixels you know mm-hmm. which pixels is not a bad movie and adam sandler just basically he looks like he's waiting for them to give him something funny to do and yet they never did because he's basically your your point of view character well he's playing those type of films adam sandler shows up and basically i'm gonna play adam sandler give him my lines and you know give him my paycheck but yeah, but I mean the thing is we've seen Adam Sandler be funny, um, and, and, and do some funny things. But and I, I I don't know if it's just lately everything he's doing. I haven't uh, gone out of my way for his other movies that he does with uh, Chris Rock and um, David Spade and, and others. But again, this it was um, well it wasn't a bad movie, but his character you know he could have stood to have some funny things done there. Same thing in this. The Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig were just there while the other ones, Kate McKinnon especially, stole the movie. Every see, every scene she was in. Yeah, see, I uh, she's been kind of polarizing because some people think she has she's the best part of the film. I found her a little irritating. Uh, hmm. Or the the um, the black woman. I can't, I don't know her name from Saturday Night Live. Jones. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head uh, either. Um, but I, Vanilla liked it a lot. I, and I think even as a standalone, if, if like you say, if Ghostbusters did not exist at all, if this was this was a brand new movie that came out, I didn't find it terribly funny. I didn't. Uh, I thought it was one. I don't like uh, that type of humor. Not that I don't like, I can't appreciate kind of raunchy type humor, but I don't like like Bridesmaid. I didn't think Bridesmaid was funny at all. I didn't think The Heat was funny. Uh, I, I think I've discovered that I don't think Kristen Wiig is funny. I think she kind of plays the same character in everything she's in. I just don't find her type of humor funny. And you know what, what I'll just say is that it was just its own movie and I mean they built it up so it could have a sequel. And I mean, you—if you stayed to the mm-hmm. end, you saw that they—they they injected the name Zool. Yeah. So it looks like we're going to see Gozer and all that fun stuff. If they make another one, now it's made plenty of money, so it looks like they could greenlight another 
uh, another one. Now it's, it's actually it's only made a hundred and eleven million up that's, to now. That's, that's not a lot of money. Well, uh, I got two more things to ask you real quick. One, have you seen the Justice League trailer? Yes. Okay. What'd you think of that? Not enough. Not enough. It, it, I mean, it, it didn't feel... I mean, it, it felt like... You know, it felt like all these other movies. I'm putting a team together. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, and I'm just like, no, that's not what you need to be showing us. You don't need to be showing us the putting the team together. You need to be showing us why the team has to come together. And they didn't give us that, really. Well, it, it looks like they're possibly a reaction to Man of Steel and Batman Superman, that they are... This trailer looks like they've injected more humor into it. Um, yes, you know. and, and and I have no problem with that. Um, but at the same time, I was just like, it, it, they should have given us more of that. Now, there was a quick cameo, ironically, of The Flash in um, Suicide Squad. Oh. A, a very quick cameo, you know. And it made sense where they put him in there. And the mm -hmm. usage of Batman in there made sense there but you know it's funny watching those scenes you could tell there was a difference between those scenes and the rest of the movie mm -hmm. and i come to find out that uh zach snyder actually directed the flash scene oh and suicide squad yeah interesting I, I will say this i truly hate that flash costume well i don't like anything about it because grant gustin is perfect as the flash Grant Gustin is our Flash today. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the Flash that we have. He's the Flash that we should get. And by sitting there and giving us Ezra Miller as this other guy in the movie, I think that's that's a misstep. They've got a perfect opportunity here to cross those streams. We know about the multiverse. We know that Barry Allen can be Barry Allen in the Flash show, and that this Barry Allen can be... Barry Allen also, but in a different universe. There's no reason they can't do that. I mean, look what they're doing with Supergirl, and they're using Superman there. Yeah, but I think... No, I can't comment because I haven't watched the Supergirl, although I, I heard it's pretty good. Uh, I think they are afraid that... And it seems these studios today are, are just terrified that they think that the audience is really stupid. So that they really have to dumb it down, and they're, I guess they're afraid that if they have, they won't have any way of explaining that. That there are, yeah. that it could not be necessarily the same character, but, you know, it's the same actor, but not the same character. And they don't want to try to cross the, uh, uh, you know. Cross the streams. Cross the streams, yeah. Which, yeah. Which, which is funny because Marvel is doing better at the theater, in, in their theatrical releases but DC, in my opinion, is doing better on their TV shows. Well, let's let's take another look at that. Well, if you don't count, Dare, count Daredevil, if you don't count Jessica Daredevil, Jones. Jessica Jones, if you don't count those two, then true, they are they're not going to out of the park with those two. The the Netflix verse that that Marvel is putting together that takes place in the same universe as as the other Marvel mm -hmm. movies is working. Which is great because they don't they reference them enough to let you know that they exist in the same world, but they but that's it. They just casually mention, you know, the Avengers or something to let you know that yes, this is all one shared universe, but it doesn't it takes place in such a small corner of that world that you're never gonna see Iron Man, you're never gonna see Thor, you're never gonna see Captain America. That doesn't mean you won't see Tony Stark walk on one moment. Right. Or on, on on a TV thing. 
But yeah, no, no. I mean, it, it makes this, it makes sense. But I mean, the thing is, is like Marvel is not shying away from that on their on the new TV stuff that they're doing. Now, if they get something on network television, that's a different matter altogether because there's so much interference. Yeah. But you know, be that as it's, as it may, um, I'm I'm looking forward to anything that Marvel's doing on Netflix, and um, and I'm looking forward to Doctor Strange. That 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 I'm looking forward to it too. My only, you know, we've I know we I think we discussed this earlier on another on our podcast, but that's been so long ago, nobody remembers it. Uh, <laughs> I like the new trailer. It really looks uh, Steve Ditko-y. I mean, he really kind of captured that kind of weird, quirky, Whack, kind of yeah. wacky uh, Steve Ditko universe. My only complaint at all is I really don't like the voice that. Cumberbatch is picked as Doctor Strange. It's too... That's his go-to American voice, and I want it a little more cultured, a little more... Not quite British, but kind of sophisticated American, kind of a David Niven kind of, you know? You know, I, I, and that's one of those things where you're gonna... I, I think you're gonna see that transformation, where he goes from being the the surgeon to the student could to be. the master, and be. when he, when be. he finally becomes the master... Then you're going to see that, you know, yeah. by the hoary host of Hogoth, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to it regardless. That and Luke Cage. I'm really looking forward to Luke Cage. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've been showing my wife um, the Marvel team up stuff that John Byrne did uh, with with uh, Luke Cage and showing him, you know, Power Man and Iron Fist and Misty Knight and Kaleen mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and she just looks at that. She goes, "That's what's going to be on there." I said, "No, no, no, <laughs> no, no That's blousy just... shirt, no, no belt, no chain belt." But yeah, yeah, and no big green costume that blocks your vision around. And no, <laughs> but but uh, definitely looking forward to seeing how they handle Danny Rand. Yeah, it'd be uh, interesting. I, and you know, it's like I'm I'm warming up to the guy that, that's playing him now more. I I actually wouldn't have been, I I wouldn't have objected if they had changed him to make him an Asian, Danny uh, Rand. I wouldn't have had a problem with it. I think I think the argument as to why he's not is stupid. It's like he's that that's the whole idea is that he's kind of an outsider that has learned this uh, technique or method or whatever you know whatever this fighting style. Yeah. As opposed to somebody who was more. Born into born. that culture, born into that culture, right? Right. Yeah. Right. But anyway, you know, it's uh, it's you know, it is. I I hate to say it, but it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Good night. Do we do we want to go back to the book, or was there anything else that you had? Uh... No, I think we should probably get to uh, this. We are supposed to be talking about Star Trek here, and we're yeah, John <laughs> Byrne Star Trek, and and, and and here we are. We're we're, we're coming right up on the uh, date of the premiere. Of Star Trek, the uh, the first uh, first episode uh, that was shown was what Man Trap. Man, yes, Man Trap. Yeah, and I I, I need to look at that because uh, as we're recording this today is August seventh, and um, I'm trying to see what the exact date was that the Man Trap was. Uh, was it? August? I don't think it was in August. Was it September? And let me go here and do this. Man Trap was the first broadcast. Broadcast. Uh, Charlie X was well. If you don't count the where no one has gone before, Charlie X was the first produced. September eighth, nineteen sixty six. 
Yeah, it was no, it was the first first episode to be broadcast, and it was aired September eighth, nineteen sixty six. So we got one month and one day to the actual first broadcast. Hits fifty years, and uh, I, I think that that hopefully we can put together like a special special little show. We could put together a show where we could do a, you know, we could even do like a live viewing of it. We could do a not live. Uh, commentary, a commentary of it, or a commentary of. We could just do a Star Trek commentary, but we could pick that one. We could certainly, you know. Well, I think it it wouldn't be bad to do um, where no man has gone before, simply because it ties well into the. Uh, the we've already done the Fumetti that yeah. Fumetti that we've done. Yeah. So I, I mean, but we can discuss that later. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, you know, that's, just, that's a good idea. Anyway, moving on. Uh, if you want to just uh, bring up what you've pulled yeah. on our book today. What have you, and you're doing a synopsis, right? Yeah, I'll do okay, the okay. synopsis. Just make sure, because if, if not, I'm going to have to wing it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're gone for two months, and we forget what we're doing. Uh, as I said, this is uh, Star Trek Crew, uh, number one. The actual issue is called Shakedown. Uh, this follows uh, Hollow Crown and Schisms in the in the Burn chronology of his Star Trek work. Uh, this is March 28, 2009. Had a cover date of $3.99. Artist, anchor, writer, John Byrne. The colorist was Mario Boone. Um, I've got the editor, sorry. That's uh, Chris Royale. Chris Royale, and I think the letter is Neil... Uyutaki, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, as I understand it, this book came with two co- two different covers. It had the standard cover, which has the character we know as number one dodging a phaser blast, and the in and she's in the uh, a silhouette of the Enterprise against the starscape, mm-hmm. and the there's a, a like a an incentive cover. Of the comic book shops, it was basically an uncolored version of that or penciled version of the more of like an ash can, right? Yeah, I think yeah. all the covers for this series, this is five issues. Each one of them has a silhouette of the primary vehicle ship that's in the the issue. With uh, it's like a cutout. It's like a you know, it's it's a silhouette image with another image within inside it. Right. It's like clipped. Right. In, it's like clipped inside it. Uh, let's see what else I got. I did find out that this sold 9,168 issues. Yeah, but that was only, um, that was a, uh, specific, it, it didn't count bookstore sales. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what the significance of that is, because that actually sounds low. low. Yeah, low. So that's just newsstand? That's just like, uh, that That's direct, mar- direct, direct market? market? Direct market comic book sales, yeah. Hmm. And you know how they get exact numbers like that is still you know hard to say. Yeah. But uh, you know back in the day that few sales would would definitely get a book canceled pretty quick. That's, uh, that's not that's not very high at all, is it? No, I mean considering that you know they wanted hundred thousand sales on a lot of their books in the the eighties and nineties just to keep the books going. going. Yeah. Or now- ninety thousand. Yeah. If it, it did, if it didn't have sales like that. The the books didn't last very long. Yeah, I mean, nowadays if a book does a hundred thousand, that's great. Well, yeah, I mean, if a book does ten thousand, you know, the thing is they're, they're charging four and five dollars a book. 
started making a lot more money than they were making back then when it was 35 to 75 cents uh, an a issue. Book, yeah. Because we didn't break the dollar on a standard 30-page comic book until, what, 87 or 88? Oh, I think it was probably later than that. When I, I started in 84, they were they just jumped from 65 to 75. Yeah. They weren't, now, in, they weren't in the dollar for very long. They jumped to 125 pretty quick. Yeah, and then, and then it just started skyrocketing, and then we started hitting the $3 range in the 90s already. Yeah. Uh, but that was because there were so many different types of covers and variants. and, and just... Well, and the, the paper was better. They were doing a slicker paper. It was the, uh, just the, Supposedly, the, the product was getting better. Not really. The, the product the product was on was getting better, but not necessarily the quality of the product was getting better. Exactly, yeah. Uh, for the same month this came out, I also found that uh, the IDW book also Angel Blood and Trenches number one. That's the book he did. That's the based off the Buffy Buffy verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also did a Avengers Hawkeye trade paper bag that had a burn story, which reprinted Avengers one eighty nine. Okay, and so he did, he didn't do anything extra no. for. It. Then there was a Secret Invasion X Men trade paper bag, which had a burn story of FF two fifty. Uh, other than that, that was that's all he did. Secret Invasion went covered stuff all the way back to Fantastic Four two fifty. That's the only thing in it that he did. Which I guess because it was dealing with was it dealing with the scrolls? No. I'm looking here because uh, you know that's well, that's, that's a, one that's of those the, things. Uh, that's when he the, that's when they fight the uh, the honor guard the. Uh, the Imperial oh, the, Guard. Okay, so it's a scroll story, so therefore it's it well, plays into it. the whole secret evasion. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a great great little story there. Okay. Now, um I, I you know, I kind of went back and forth on this as I worked on my synopsis and I pulled a lot from the uh, Star Wars Star Trek wiki. Star Wars, what am I saying? Star Trek wiki because I was just like having a, a difficult time putting this synopsis together and you know part of that I think goes to the fact of that as you read this you, they made use of many different tricks to not say her name mm-hmm. because we never actually heard it on the TV series uh, they just referred to her as number one and now in the books, there are different areas where they've given her a name, but I ignore all that because none of it is considered canon. I know they've never actually given her a name. It's the kind of thing that if this had run as a continuing series, that would be the running gag. That yeah. you would never find out what her name is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the the way that Byrne drew her, he kind of... He, he was able to carry her away that she didn't look so much like Major Barrett. But at the same time, you recognized her as, as the character you knew as number one. Right. Um, and so, I, I again, this is one of those things um, about John Byrne in that, in licensed you know, stuff, he doesn't necessarily like doing, um, you know, character likenesses. He doesn't want to have to draw Captain Kirk and Spock and all them because he's going to have to do a lot of it photo-referenced and that, that gets caught real easily. Uh, but with you know with characters like McCoy, or with uh, number one here, he was able to sit there and, and do enough to 
to make it his own yet still make her recognizable as the character you know he they intended to do right if you do too much if you do too much photo referencing that kind of pulls you out because then the other characters aren't at the same level of refinement right. because they're just you know a figure he's drawing in his out of his head yeah and but if you, and then all of a sudden out. you you recognize oh that actual spot was from this one and that actual shot is from that episode or you know what you saw and it, of her it would be what you saw in the cage of the menagerie right okay so our story starts off um uh of all places at earth uh about eight years prior to starfleet's first contact with the inhabitants of talos four all right so you're seeing uh, uh like four cadets Griggs, Colin, McCormick, and the unnamed woman that we know of as number one, arrive via shuttlecraft aboard the yet uncommissioned, or not yet commissioned, uh, Constitution-class starship, designation NX-0002. They're going to join a skeleton crew that will operate the ship during its shakedown cruise. Now, the female cadet in this group is the woman that we know, like I said, uh, that becomes number one to Chris Pike. Um... And as they arrive, they're told to go to sick bay right away to get their physicals. But, um, God, I tell you, I love this. Anyway, uh, they go and, and they run into Dr. Philip Boyce, and they find out uh, on the trip aboard the shuttlecraft that uh, there was unauthorized use of a transporter three days before, which is why they're not using the transporter. And according to Dr. Boyce, that there are several crewmen who have refused to show up for their physicals. And uh, these all play into later in the story. Uh, so they get their physicals and they go to their assignments. Hers, of course, is in engineering. And they meet their captain, who is an aged admiral. What was his name there? Was it Griggs? Uh, uh, yeah, no, Admiral Rasmussen. I'm sorry, Rasmussen, I don't want to yes. say Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm going back and forth between two things. That's why I keep uh, dropping here. So after he gives his speech, um, they depart from Earth orbit. Uh, she's assigned to engineering. She notices irregularities in the warp drive, and Lieutenant in charge, who looks a little bit like Scotty, but his voice, his uh, however he's written, doesn't seem to have any kind of accent. I don't know if you caught that. No, well, to me he looks a little Asian. Well, there was there were times where I thought he looked Asian, but not, not always. I mean, I, I thought, okay, well, that's just supposed to look like young Scotty, but no, there's no accent whatsoever. And, and it's funny because I thought she looked Asian in some of the pages here, and I'll point those out to you as we get into it. Uh, meanwhile, while she's spotting irregularities aboard the uh, ship, uh, back at uh, Starfleet Academy, the dead body of someone is discovered in the grounds. Uh, and they've come to find out that this is someone that was actually transported right into the solid ground. And come to find out that it is one of the crewmen that we find out has not shown up for his uh, physical. All right, so the, the, the lieutenant in charge of engineering sends her and Cadet McCormick to investigate the problem as the ship is entering the Oort cloud here in the solar system. The two encounter Cadet Ramirez in the starboard nacelle, who immediately draws a phaser and vaporizes McCormick. Now, number one, she throws her tricorder at, at him, at Ramirez, and knocks him out. And she, she just got... 
Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. She just, uh, of course, uh, discovers that there is an explosive device timed uh, with a countdown. So she grabs the uh, unconscious Ramirez and gets him out before the device detonates. Now, as the remaining engineering crew reacts to the damage, they're slain by a phaser-wielding Kinet Osterman, who proceeds to shut down the ship's primary systems. Nearby, we find out, is a D7-class Klingon warship that emerges from hiding in the Orc Cloud debris, and its crew takes the Enterprise in tow. Now, let's see here. As emergency power activates on board the Enterprise, the female cadet brings Ramirez to sickbay, where medical exam reveals that he's actually a Klingon agent, which we kind of figured since it was those guys that were actually killed on Earth. Um, Admiral Rasmussen also arrives in sickbay, having survived the slaughter of the bridge crew at the cost of his right arm severed by a phaser fire and completely cauterized. Now, after Rasmussen informs the others of their capture by the Klingon ship, the female cadet conceives a risky plan involving four shuttlecraft currently on board, programs three of the shuttles to fly random pattern to confuse the enemy sensors, while the fourth is aimed at a weak point on the Klingon craft structure. So when Rasmussen realizes that the cadet will have to pilot the four shuttle herself to ensure an accurate strike, he forces her out of the shuttle bay and uses a phaser to disable the door controls. Aware of his reputation as an old dunsel, I'm sure you remember that term, mm-hmm. Rasmussen intends to prove his worth one last time rather than allow the young cadet to sacrifice her life. And as Rasmussen begins his flight, the female cadet makes her way back to engineering, bringing Griggs along when she encounters him in the corridor. After stunning Osterman, the two restore sufficient power to send a distress call, doing so just as Rasmussen successfully cripples the Klingon ship. Now, before the Klingons can effect repairs, another Constitution-class ship, NC-1700, and I believe that is the Constitution, mm-hmm. uh, arrives and destroys the enemy warship. Now, now, after an official inquiry aboard the as-yet-uncommissioned starship, the captain of the 1700 recommends commendations to the surviving crew and further indicates special commendations for Admiral Rasmussen, posthumously, and the female cadet. However, she declines the special commendation preferring that the full credit for the incident goes to Rasmussen, and she accepts the standard commendation with her fellow cadets. Now, as she and Griggs leave the inquiry, they encounter a repair crew replacing a bulkhead panel, and she pauses to sign her name on the, on the interior of the panel. Obviously, we don't get to see this, stating that her intention is to return to the ship at some point in her career and to do her best to prevent the need of sacrifices such as Rasmussen's. End of story. Very well done. Very well uh, done. Uh, again, that wasn't all me. I got a lot of that from the Star Trek wiki. Um, oh, how dare you. Oh, well, hey, you know, I mean, it's just so many hours in the day. But, you know, again, it was pretty comprehensive, but I found myself going back and forth. Now, looking at the story, though, and even looking at the front cover, the front cover uh, there with her evading the phaser fire, and I love those those old the uh, Cage or Menagerie Virgin oh, lasers. Phasers. Yeah, I, I just thought they looked a little small. I thought his his drawing of them made them smaller than they were. They do look a little smaller than what you see in the cage, and then later you see them. Oh, they pop up again some other time as just a prop, just as, as somebody else has a uh, has a phaser. I can't remember, but 
it does look a little small. Yeah. In that but hand. I, I, I mean, this picture though tells you an awful lot. You know, you've got someone that appears to be in a Federation outfit using a Federation phaser, and it appears the ship itself is in some form of red alert with the with the highlighting all in all in the red. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's, I mean, that is just a beautiful cover. And the of cover- course, the silhouette of the starship, I love that too. Yeah, I like this technique that he did throughout this uh, this series of showing uh, kind of, it's kind of the same way he did with the McCoy. Each one of them had kind of a, they had two covers too, and they had like McCoy examining some alien and kind of doing a the riff on a kind of, you know, established Dr. Joke. And then he had uh, ones that more tied into the actual, what was going on in the, the stories, but... I agree. This the the cover is uh, is very very nice. Uh, he obviously spent more time on the covers, and he spent seemed like he spent a lot of time on the Enterprise. You can tell he loves the Enterprise because the Enterprise in, looks great. In some album. spots, yeah, in some spots, I thought that there was more detail in this one than there was in in uh, the Romulan Ponds of War mm-hmm. that that we covered a while back, or the Romulan Crown. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, now. The uh, the cityscape there of Starfleet there at in uh, I'm assuming at San Francisco. I would think so too. And uh, I I like the way he did it, but it was it was a little monochromatic. But again, it was supposed to be nighttime. Uh, but still, I, I thought that was pretty cool, especially the shot with the shuttle taking off there. But now, are are we seeing that they're in some sort of waiting room, and then all of a sudden they're in the shuttle? I would think they're in like spaceport. Yeah, and maybe that, and then are, that's like the 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 waiting lounge, and then they're gonna fix into uh, get on this the uh, whatever shuttle it is. I can't read it. Yeah, up to uh, fly up to the uh, and and it gives you a little intro. It's a little kind of a character introduction. You get to introduce you to uh, and it you know they mentioned that she she's been there for three days, which kind of ties you know it plays out um, pays off later when she's talking to um, Captain Masterson. Um, but yeah, it's a nice little, uh, and it's it's a, and then we get with this gorgeous double page spread. Uh, yeah, but Enterprise. before before you go back there on the, on this previous page, the uh, bottom panels though doesn't that look like almost like Superboy as one of the pilots, and then Jimmy Olsen there next to her on the very bottom panel. It does look like Jimmy Olsen, the guy with the red hair. Yeah, yeah. They uh, there's some throughout this whole book. There yeah. are some some inconsistencies with faces. Her face, sometimes, and it's actually with all faces. Whenever Burn is more of a more of a long shot, where you know he doesn't, he's just drawing a face that maybe I don't know, half an inch or a quarter inch. They really yeah. look rough. I mean, they really look. Um, I was really kind of disappointed in some of the artwork in this issue. Really? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the the people versus the 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 settings. I think the settings were were all done pretty well. His tech, it burn never is never. Anytime he's doing some kind of a tech or a ship, he it's like he brings his A game, or maybe it's he's quicker at doing that. Maybe he's faster at drawing those than he is. Some of it just, and I know I keep, I've used this word all a lot when we referred to some of his later stuff. It looks rushed, and I, it's not rushed, but it's just. He's not putting as much detail into it, right? The the, the level of uh, detail, I you know, I mean, is whatever whatever he determines it to be. Um, but you know, looking at the uh, the dry dock and everything, you know, the Enterprise happens to be in the Enterprise, looking really really gorgeous and obviously not complete. 
we're seeing the work that still needs to be done on the on the nacelles there. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the the dry dock itself looks almost like he used, you know, his CAD program or something to come up with that, like he did with that time machine in OMAC. Maybe it doesn't. He may have done it just to do his perspectives, but yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't look quite as. There are some other shots in this issue that are obviously computer generated or Photoshop, which I'm not as big a fan of. But uh, this just looked to me. This looks like his typical uh, angular uh, square lines that all his tech looks that way. Yeah. Now looking down at the the planet Earth, though, uh, as you see it there, are we looking at the West Coast? Because, I mean, it's oh. huge. You see this Bay Area. You see – so I, I would assume that's probably the San Francisco Bay. But it's – you know, the perspective is so odd. That's yeah, that's not – I don't think that could be San Francisco, could it? I mean, look at the way the orientation of the Earth. I don't think that could be. It looks more like the East Coast, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Again, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, yeah. I, I just – Yeah. Well, they could leave from San Francisco, but it could be anywhere in orbit. I don't know where the this platform is. Right, right. And given the way you see that kind of sun sheen there off the, the top left, mm-hmm. you'd think, okay, the, that's the north end. But maybe it isn't. Maybe north is actually over there towards the right. I don't know. That's that, that's one thing that's got me wondering. And maybe one of our listeners you know, that, that, that may understand – orientation of the earth and, and such might be able to tell us something this is i mean it's, it's gorgeous but it did it did bring that question to me especially when you've got that little like peninsula up there at the top just above the saucer section yeah i don't yeah. know what that i mean i'm sure there's probably in one of the 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 many tech manuals that they've somebody's established at what orbit the uh the the dry docks are in what the coordinates are maybe yeah, now it makes me want to go back and watch Star Trek: The Motion Picture. <laughs> I think this is kind of a loving homage to that because of that yeah. long twenty-minute flyby you get of that beautiful model from uh, the the motion picture. Yeah, that uh, we kind of we kind of get hints of that in the new Abrams, or not the new Abrams film, but the new Star Trek film. Yeah. Now the uh, the other thing I want to point out here is in the the bottom right-hand corner, you see the the people managing the shuttle bay right mm-hmm. and the girl there she's got the hairstyle a lot like what's her name in the cage you know the other female that was brought in down the, young, to the planet the, number one yeah, yeah. The younger um yeah i mean it's just or... a, it's a common hairstyle but it made me think of that it made me think of her when i saw that now i'm wondering if that was the intention there i don't know i, can't, I really haven't paid attention to the the hairstyles throughout the rest of this. I mean, he's got her hair pretty consistent to the way it is. And the, the only time we see her, which is the cage or yeah. the menagerie one and two, whichever one you're seeing. Yeah. Now the, the tech in this particular screen is a little off to me. This isn't what you would see on board the enterprise at that particular point in time, right next to that guy would be a solid wall. He'd have a control panel, but it wouldn't be standing on two legs like that. It would be, I, I, I don't know, it just seems to be like it would be more solid. 
and then you'd have a much smaller window looking into the shuttle bay than, than they do there. Well, yeah, 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 because you're, you're looking at, if you think of it the way, you know, from a TV production point, it would be a much simpler uh, looking setup. But yeah. also, this looks like from what we've seen of, if you especially look at the remastered, even the original, when the shuttle bay's coming in, to me, it always looked like the control. Uh, the control area was off to to one side, mm-hmm. and uh, this looks like it's more of an overhead shot. Okay, so on the next page, though, we do see that the shuttle is now. That shuttle is not an Enterprise shuttle. That shuttle's down from the uh, Academy, since it's got the SF one hundred three seven one on it. Uh, we see them, of course, getting off the shuttlecraft, and uh, Byrne does a good job at giving you multiple colored. Uh, shirts. We we even see the red shirt, uh, and of course, I, I I actually like the jackets that they wore back then. Those gray jackets. Oh, I, I love them. It's those away yeah. jackets that they never brought back. Yeah, and I thought those were really cool. And of course, we also get to see Doctor. Uh, is it Philip Boyce? Boyce. Yes. And it, it looks like he's doing some some photo reference on the bottom right, but not necessarily on the first shot he had. Of yeah, him. just that one where he's talking to her. He says, uh, "You know, you're gonna give me trouble, are you?" That looks a little photo reference, although it's not exactly a clear copy or, you know, a clear right. reference of the, the actor. The rest are just enough that you know, you can tell who it is. Yeah, now I always thought he was a little heavier, too. If you look at the shots of him in the various pages here, he seems to be, I don't know, thinner. I see. I thought it was, the, I would say, I thought his face was a little more gaunt, a little thinner Yeah. on the show. Than it is here, but oh, really? okay. But this is eight years, so it could be he's he is a little younger, so I guess yep, Barry could be uh, compensating for that. And we get little plot points here of, of basically, and I thought it was a little odd that he's like, oh, you know, he's basically this is McCoy prototype. He's irascible. Yeah. He's grumpy. You know, he doesn't you know take he does he doesn't take any guff off anybody, and. Is a, I thought it was a little kind of obvious exposition where she's like, well, when she asked, well, who are they? And he has to give her the whole, well, it's these people. Like, why would yeah. she really care? But it does introduce that she knows who one of them is and that, you know, maybe there's something up that's not, you know, maybe their things aren't going. Um... Yeah. Now, I like that, that outer shot that's right in the middle of the page where you just see the, the bottom portion of the saucer section with the mm-hmm. word coming out. Kind of giving you perspective of where they are on the ship. I've yeah, I never got, th- I thought about that. Yeah, yeah. I've got my old uh, late seventies blueprints of the Enterprise, and I'm going to have to sit there and pull those out and find the page that so- shows the, the lower decks on the saucer section, just to see if that's where sick bay shows up. I don't know. I've got the I've got the uh, Starfleet tech manual that has a mm-hmm. lot of the. Uh, I don't know if it shows placement of the decks. It just shows the outline of like engineering and sick bay and and that's the, the one that Jeffrey that Jeffrey's put out, right? The the red one with the black plastic cover. Did Jeffrey's do that? I've got that one, but I don't. Did Matt Jeffrey's do that one? I I thought he'd done that. Um, I couldn't tell you because I think I've got a copy of it around here somewhere as well. I mean, I've always had one, but yeah, I've got I've got two several copies. I keep finding them in used bookstores, but yeah. So we come to find out that there are co-ed crew sleeping quarters, but not on this ship because the captain's old-fashioned. 
And which, is, which is a little odd that he because he it sounds like they're just out for I don't know how long this this trip's going to take. They're just he's just temporarily in charge, just as a as a tradition that he gets an old captain gets uh, or an old admiral gets command of this ship on a shakedown crew. And yeah, so I don't know if it's a trip around the solar system. Is that uh, two or three days? Is it a week? Yeah, because it looks like the, I mean they're they're still engaging the warp. The time warp systems, as they right, that. right, and right. Now, my uh, my one complaint here was having her refer to the admiral as an old dunsel, and that's just you know everything that we've seen on the character of number one is that she seemed to be a little bit less, um, you know, emotional about anything. I mean, she seemed to be a little bit, but you know, she was more of a, a prototype for Spock. Exactly. In what exactly. we've seen, and it just seems out of character, even at a younger age, for her to sit there and say that. Yeah, um, it's. I, it, I could have imagined one of the other cadets saying that, but not necessarily her. Right, she does seem to have a more, a little more respect for the org chart, so that she wouldn't. Uh, and I could see one of these other two women saying that. But speaking of when she does say that, that's one of these instances where her face just does not look good. Yeah, she looks like Jody Arias, you know, that, that murderer. Uh, <laughs> there was a couple times where I thought she looked like her. Also has like an Asian appearance. She has, it has, definitely has an Asian appearance there. And it just, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's. Yeah. Now the, um, so there's only 60 people aboard this ship, which can normally have 200 people crew it. I think 230 is what they had in the cage or menagerie. Yeah, and then 400, 400, 400. Yeah, when Kirk's on there, yeah. Uh, but they drop all moorings, and then there's a, a nice, lovely shot of the Enterprise. But it, it also seems like he's got more more stuff there on the nacelles than, than what I recall seeing back in the day, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's got the two, two little uh, points that they get rid of after the cage. Those mm-hmm. two little antennas that are on the front of the nacelles, yeah, and the buzzard collectors. But uh, and then it looks. I mean, other than the fact there's no markings on it, it looks. Yeah. Which I would think it would have some kind of markings. It would. It, well, it does say NX, I guess, zero 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 two on the side of the nacelle. Yeah, they just don't want to use that much more paint because <laughs> <laughs> they'll have to take it down. And uh, so again, at the bottom of this page, you see her in engineering. You see the other engineer there behind her. I thought that was supposed to be young Scotty. Scotty, but he was never written. And and you you yourself said he also kind of looked a little Asian. He does in some perspectives. And yeah, I remember I remember one perspective I saw that definitely made me think. Uh, you know, he did appear a little Asian, but not so much. I mean, the other ones again, like I said, I thought it was Scotty. And there's a missed opportunity on the next page here when they got the guys out there on the grounds and they come across the the body. That could have been a, a young Boothby, you know. They could have yeah. used Boothby. That's true. See, about the t- time age is eighty years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he could have been. You know, and that's now that you mentioned that, I never that never occurred to me. It's a good catch. Yeah. I'm surprised Byrne didn't do that. Except he he tends to stay away from referencing next gen. Yeah, he and seems, that's, that's probably why. Yeah, he doesn't seem interested at all in doing any kind of next-gen stuff. He's just interested in the original series. Okay. Now, on this next page here, as they're coming by Saturn, 
when you watched the Menagerie in a Cage, did the nacelles have the endings like that? They did because it, it had that little like metallic cross section. They did because later when they removed the like the antennas in the front of the nacelle, yeah. they put kind of a kind of a half sphere on the back. Right. Yeah. For that, but um, which actually that makes more sense if that's the type of a there was no, I guess exhaust back there really, but. Yeah. Now, I like this shot of the Enterprise in the asteroid, or in the Oort. I don't know if that's in the Oort cloud itself, but uh, as it's sitting there shooting through there. And it's, you know, it's a good distance away. Uh, yeah, it's, I've got my notes. So that's a, it's a cool effect, as you can see, the kind of the definition of the shields. It looks it looks similar to the oh. way Next Gen would show when they would get hit, and the shields seem to be like just kind of a, a bubble, a bubble a around. Yeah, a shimmer. Yeah, yeah. That's what this seems like, because you can just kind of define the... And then there you see her going up the Jeffrey's tube using that conveyor to pull her up. That's a cool... I, th I thought that was a cool uh, addition. Something that Byrne put in. That that's How else would you... You wouldn't want to climb a ladder that... that uh, especially because it's going up at an angle. You wouldn't want to climb a ladder. So why not have a little... Like a people mover. Yeah. And then we see police from the 23rd century. That's true. They haven't abolished cops in Star Trek. Do you think that... Uh, now that I look at it, I'm not sure, but do you think that Doctor is supposed to be a little easy? It's burn drawing himself. No, I didn't catch that. I didn't, I anytime didn't. I, I see somebody's blonde with a beard, I immediately, immediately think that Burns drawing himself into a comic. Yeah, well, it's it's that that goatee Van Dyke look that he likes to draw. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it just as it affects the face, but really, he he didn't strike me as as really being burnish um when burn does his own caricature himself, yeah yeah um and then of course the the officer whoever that is with the red short hair he doesn't look like anybody i recognize either he looks like uh remember how oh uh, was it bob mcleod you know reyna from the new mutants the girl that Ra turned into okay ren sinclair yeah yeah that's how she looks because i always drew her with that kind of short spiky red hair yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then there's another um, kind of Superman prototype uh, or Superboy prototype. Mm -hmm. I can see that. And even got the spit curl going down on him, but that's Ramirez. When uh, when yeah, you know, when she finds him in there, and he's one of the Klingons. Yeah, this um, and notice he does this in this. He maybe do it throughout those series. He does it in this issue, and I know he does it in the second issue. He's playing with this nonlinear time in his storytelling, so that you know, the like for instance, the discovering of the the body, the body. Is, is happening previously. So he's he's uh, having things happen um, simultaneously, and this is very yeah. um, where they discover the Klingons, and I guess they're trying to apply this as maybe our first. Uh, our first encounter. encounter with him, although at this time we supposedly have still been in in a war with the Romulans for at least a hundred years, so it's not like they they kind of he trying to write this as this is our first big bad guy we've run into, although we've already had a like I said had a war with the Romulans. Yeah, but that was a hundred years before. True, and yeah. that, it was all done through subspace, so we never saw. You know, right, we there never was saw there, yeah. the other person. The other, the other actually saw the, the the Romulans, but 
Now, what I did like is that as she sits there and... Okay, now, of course, he shoots the other guy that's with her. And then she thinks fast and throws her tricorder at him and knocks him out, which made me think of the old George Reeves Superman show, you know, how they'd, <laughs> they'd shoot at him and then they'd throw the gun and he'd stand there and let the bullets bounce off him, but duck for the gun. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so she throws that at him. And then as she's looking at the bomb, you can tell they've got some sort of characters on that little digital screen. And that, to me, even looks a little bit Klingon. Like a Klingon it does. display. It does. It looks almost like the, the Predator's readout when his bomb's I, going off. I, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> but yeah. this is, uh, you know, this is, it's kind of like he's pulling from uh, Trouble with Tribbles, where we had the the Klingons disguised, you know, Garvin was disguised as a human to try to, yeah. or the Enterprise incident where Kirk dressed, you know, gets surgically altered to look like a Romulan so they can steal the cloaking device. Um, but I want to ask on, are you reading this in the, the big book? Yes. Okay. Page 216, the very top when, uh, uh, the guy's getting blasted with the laser. Mm-hmm. Look at his arms. It's almost like, look how long his arms are. Yeah, I mean, it didn't occur to me. His like, it's almost like his proportion or way off is way off. But I mean, if you remember, and if you look at all the other phasers, there is a little bit of distension in each one of them. Like, like that, that the because if you remember on Star Trek, they would sit there and they'd do that. They'd hit him with the phaser, and it would kind of glow. The glow, glow a little bit, and it would change shape and size a little bit before it would disappear. And yeah. and so I guess that's what you're getting there is that that kind of funky glow because he's consistent with it in all of his shots throughout the pages. It could be that that's maybe he's trying to show the effect that they are dissipating and they would yeah. kind of like billowing out like a cloud would, but it just looks like he drew the arms too long and the leg too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the bomb goes off, which mm-hmm. I thought that looked a little too gassy for a regular bomb explosion in space. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. We don't know what Klingon, what kind of, uh, it's a Klingon Molotov cocktail. I don't know. It's a... Yeah, yeah, but I love the, the, the whole thing. I, you know, on the next page, of course, we see the, the, the guy here going around and shooting everybody, and then mm-hmm. he's cutting power to the bridge. Now, the only thing is, like, in my head, I heard the whole... <laughs> as everything went down, you know, it didn't just click off. It it yeah, had it that, would that shut slow, down. slow shut down. Um, love that bridge shot, though, especially with those um, those uh, little bendable things they've got coming up. The old style screens, yeah, yeah. I've got a lamp on my desk right now that looks kind of like those. Okay, so on the next page, we get our first shot of the Klingons, and these are the Klingons as they appeared in the original series. Um, more like they they did in Day of the Dove, where they had that real swarthy, mm-hmm. almost greenish pallor to it's them. It's a real uh, kind of a bronzy kind of like like Kang did, exactly. where we didn't get that so much with the others uh, in other episodes or even from uh, Core. They're all rocking that great facial hair. The guy that says grapper beam activated. He's I don't know what that's a that's kind of a turn of the century type beard mustache sideburn yeah combo. Yeah, I like that. But, you know, the thing is, when I first saw that, I was looking at the the first guy here that, that's 
says, you know, but this one will be ours. He almost reminded me of like a young version of Core. Yeah, well, he looks like one of the Klingons that was in the other Romulan, uh, yeah. and that I, so obviously it can't be because of what happens. But right, right, he looks very he looks very similar to the guy that was helping out uh, helping out Core. Yeah. Now I love the way the D seven looks on the top panel there. It's got you know with the mm-hmm. red and everything. That's a great. It's, it, yeah, that's a great shot. Great perspective shot. The lower one's okay. It's I mean it's off in the distance and all, but I, I have a complaint with one later. And of course now we get into the part where they're on emergency lighting and red alert and everything. And the captain coming around, or excuse me, the admiral coming around with his arm shot off. Didn't he just look really odd all the way through? Well, his missing arm does look a little. Well, when you first see him in there, his his face looks like it's melting. It looks. That looks, uh, really looks rough. Yeah, I think he's supposed to try, he's trying to make him look ashen. Yeah. You know, as someone who's, you know, like, like, like Scotty, radiation. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but, uh, still, um, yeah, it just looked really, really weird the way he had him with that, that bit off, especially on the next, next page at the top. As she's in the background and she's looking at it, it, it almost looks like it was just cut and paste there. Right, like it was like drawn there because yeah. of what is supposed to be missing. It's just something really odd. Well, now, I, thought, I thought it was interesting that he's done is because this admiral is is gray haired, he's white haired. Right. But because of the emergency lighting, he has actually colored his hair red to reflect the light of yeah the emergency lighting, the red lighting. Uh, yeah. Now I did. Oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say the the uh, middle panel that shows the Enterprise and the Klingon crew. That is terrible. Yeah, I know. It's it's almost like he drew it really small and then just stretched it to make it bigger, and it just made him look real cartoony. It just uh, yeah, that, especially that that Klingon ship that does not look good at all. It's the perspective or the the the, the size. Um, it looks too small. Well, it looks too small compared to the Enterprise. I don't think it's. I thought they were closer in size. Yeah, I thought they were closer in size, but like the Enterprise even looks off in its proportions. It yeah the the saucer section. Sa- well, the saucer section looks look too small, or it looks or it looks like the secondary hull looks too big. Yeah, and the nacelles are not high enough. They actually kind of go right above. They should jack those up a little bit, but. Yep. But um, and then of course this is all the exposition where the admiral and the girl are talking about what they're going to do, and we never saw them put whatever it is they they've got on him here. No, his, uh, his whatever high tech bandage, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean it's like the ultimate Star Trek Ace bandage. Maybe it's <laughs> trying to regrow his arm. I don't think so. Or maybe that's where they're going to attach his mechanical arm. Yeah, they they could do that. Yeah. They could. I got a question. Does the Enterprise... It says they've got four shuttles, and that's half their normal. Does the Enterprise normally carry eight shuttles? That uh, seems like an awful lot. It, it does seem like an awful lot, and I'm going to... You know, I'm going to end up going back to my blueprints to look at that, too. Uh, but you could probably find that in that Starfleet technical manual mm-hmm. as well. I would think four. I could see four as being uh, the, the standard complement, because, I mean, that would take up a lot of space. That would almost be the entire secondary hull would be hangar bay. Well, they're they're not as big as it looks. I mean, if you watch the episodes where they show the shuttles leaving the shuttle bay, they're really tiny compared to the doors. And yeah, the, well, the actually, these, these look a little bigger 
He's actually look a little larger than the Galileo 7, which is the yeah. shuttle we see the closest. And these all look like they have RV air conditioners on top of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so the whole shuttle and activity thing, and then she stuns the uh, the other Klingon in disguise. Yeah. Do you... Let me ask you this real quick. Do you buy the Admiral's kind of self-sacrifice here? This is very Matt Decker. He's Yeah, and then I, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, you know, I, I've... I've you know the thing is, there are going to be you know not not every com- commander was a, was a Captain Kirk, and because of that, you you're going to have a lot of guys with lackluster careers. And then the thing is, even on deep space exploration, in in when we sit there and look at it and we think about what's going to happen if we ever get out there, it's going to be long, long, long periods of boredom. Yeah, yeah. And then real quick periods of fear. You know, as as whenever they do come up across anything, anything can be a threat. So you know, you look at these, and there's going to be a hundred of these captains that are going to sit there in whatever type vessel they're in. They're going to go out there and not find anything. And just imagine it: you go out to explore the great beyond, and you don't find anything at all. Let's say they go galactic north, so they're not in even the, the galactic sphere, but that's where they've been assigned to go. Yeah, it just it just. It just felt kind of by-the-number storytelling, that you had to have his motivation seem to come from nowhere. You didn't really get a sense. I mean, granted, it's only one issue, and you just spend a lot of time with him, so we don't know if he had a lackluster... You know, they're they're calling him a dunsel, but they right. they don't know how he feels about his career. Maybe he felt, hey, I've got a great career. But they have to have somebody to... You know, he had, like I said, it's kind of... Oh, it's kind of cliche, kind of hack... I don't want to say hacky, but it's kind of by-the-numbers... Well, somebody right. has to sacrifice themselves, and of course she's willing. She's more than willing to sacrifice herself, which I think is odd because, yeah, that makes her it makes her seem like a strong female character, kind of a kind of a proto Kirk. Yeah, but, but remember in the cage in the menagerie, you know, when she was in that situation, she's the first one to sit there and take the phaser and put it to overload. True. I mean, yeah. she was willing to sacrifice right. for the freedom. It, it's. So she's one of those that definitely can make the, um, oh, excuse me, the hard decisions. Uh, make the hard decisions. I know? would rather her be more of a, I don't believe in no win scenario, Kirk type, and want and find out, find some alternate solution. Of course, if that happens and he can't knock her out and take her place, and that right. that diverts the whole storytelling. So I can understand why he did it. I just want a little more. I guess I expect a little more from Burn. You know, a little more. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it just... But it's its hard to sit there and write a story that takes place before the character's normal arc. True. When you know that the character is going to survive to move on to something else. Yeah. Well, I think it's... Uh, I mean, of course, we're not carrying the rest. We're not going to cover the rest of the issues, but... She, not is, right, not she right. has not yet achieved that. As you say, she is much more of a Spock-like character. Much more unemotional kind of... Mm-hmm. By the An- book, analytical, analytical. Then she is here, and maybe that's she hasn't reached that that the that level yet. But here she's much she's much more prone to action, but she's also much more emotional. I lost. You. Oh, okay. Oh. oh, okay. Sorry, I thought I lost you there. No, no. Now let me ask you this: the shuttle crashing into the Klingon ship. 
Did you buy that? I mean, wouldn't you think they'd still have shields? Their shields should be up. They should see that. I mean, it. It should just bump into the shields and blow up there. Yeah, or they should they should fire on it because I don't think these. Yeah, I understand that the the shuttles are flying around erratically and they can't track them. But I think anytime if any of them got close to their ship, they would either put shields up or they would move. They wouldn't yeah. just. I mean, he does point out that they have three. That uh, they've got three points of uh, weakness, which yeah. I guess is underneath the uh, primary hull where the torpedo launcher is and probably the uh which i've always thought is a weakness that uh, connecting yeah you know yeah. blast that off and you know there goes your bridge now did you find the timing of the uh, constitution's arrival to be a little too convenient i did because when i first read this i thought it was the enterprise that swung back around and fired and i'm like wait a minute how'd that happen that wasn't yeah. until i noticed that they have it's nc uh one seven you know zero zero that uh the other ship but they do allude that they got a signal off, I guess, earlier. But yes. This, this must have been really close by with the swoop yeah. in and just blast the Klingon. Yeah, and just the timing of it. And then the way it went from right there to the end of the story uh, was just a little too quick, I thought. It would have been great to be able to see a bridge shot of whoever was the captain of the Constitution, um, you know, doing that. Yeah, they could have had a, they could have had a more of a. But instead, we get to see the aftermath of it. You know, the burn exposition bits, and more of her character. Of and I thought that was a little. And I can't say it's out of character because we really don't know her this character that well. But yeah. for her to decline the accommodation, that made sense to me. Well, I that think it was a little too self-sacrificing, a little too. Well, it's like something that Kirk would have done. Oh, I bet, I bet Kirk might have given credit where credit's due, but I don't think Kirk ever would have, you know. Because there's no reason why you couldn't give the Admiral all the credit for saving the day, and yet she could still, she came up with a plan. She could still say, you know, I don't know, I guess it's to make her seem more humble. Yeah. Hmm. And then... Uh, the, the last line bothers me, though. Her last line, because she says, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure we never have to buy another victory with a man's life. And yet, the the last thing we see her do in the next, the, the first time we see her is get ready to sacrifice all of them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in that story, that was to, that was to demonstrate to the, to the, the keeper how, how much humans abhor being yes. captive, you know, so that was, you know, that. That was to demonstrate that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I was trying to think when she what her saying that. Of course, she was willing to you know buy the victory with her own life before the admiral decided to go out with his own. But I wonder if I kept trying to think if was Byrne alluding to something else here? Was he trying to reference what happens with Chris Pike or what? That you know, that's the only other reference we have is with. For her is from watching the cage, so right. And then, of course, we find out that apparently Sharpie still exists in the future. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah. that's that's another just kind of clever way of you know, oh, she's writing her name, but we never know her name, right? And so, all in all, it was a it was. You've read you've read all these, right? You've read all this the whole series, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I read all of them, and I really enjoyed them. Uh, I really enjoyed this. You know, to me, 
you know, uh, people said that his art dropped off in the later years, and it, it looked to me like it picked back up when he started doing Star Trek. Like maybe he was losing his interest in in whatever it was he was doing, but when he started doing Star Trek, he his interest picked back up, and um, I I even saw that carry over into his other series, The Highways, which I I haven't found all those. I need to find those. Yeah, I think I've got a because I've, I've already really, them, but I've got a couple of them. Uh, yeah, I like those stories. Um, but uh, you know, overall, this was uh, this is a great you know a fun story, a lot of coal. I mean, just. Uh, I like the fact that he shrouded everything in black and did it all rather than as the, the standard comic book is, is done in white mm-hmm. and they do everything. But he shrouded everything here in the black and it was very fitting for it since they were in space and, uh, you know, it was an early job. I think that, that his handle on the technology, he took some liberties, but for the most part, he kept the look of the series in there, especially the early, early period, which I love. Um, pretty consistent. Oh, absolutely. He, I think he's got the voice, the sort of the look of Star Trek. Even when he, I mean, when like the dry dock, that honestly is that's burn tech. That's not. If he was to draw that as if we'd actually had that scene in the show, it would look very different. But yeah, I don't think you can fault him for that. But other than that, the uh, the look of everything else, especially the the Enterprise, every, for most most part, every time you see the Enterprise, it really looks uh, beautiful down to the fact that they have these kind of grayish pants that later we get the black pants that Kirk and Spock, you know, in the regular series. Yeah. This is more this kind of a charcoal gray pant that we see uh, from the cage uh, and these muted kind of more, uh, they're not the bright primary colors that we saw. We see a lot of beige, uh, pale blue. Uh, we saw the one red shirt, but for the most part, yeah. it's not the, the bright colors we get with um, the original series, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you can, and we've said this before, but you can tell Byrne loves Star Trek, and that's why you know that, that shows and all the stuff he's doing. Even when the artwork is a little, uh, it's a little, it's just a little off, and it's not bad. You know, I, I keep when I complain about his art, I, I hope I hope nobody thinks I'm saying it's bad. It's not no. bad, no, but it's just when you look at and. You know, I can't. You know, the, there's 30 years difference, 40 years difference between. It's like if you look at his X. Well, we were covering the Alpha Flight stuff we did for X Men. Look at that compared to this. Obviously, there's going to be a difference there. Except there's 40 right. years um, between the two, and a lot of it is, I think he does better when somebody else inks his work. When mm. he inks his own, it, it it depends. I mean, in some cases, yeah. I, you know, is. As we start discussing other things as we go on, I think I yeah I'm finally formulating my opinion as far as all that goes, and I'm seeing some things. I saw some things in Alpha Flight recently that uh, that I thought were, were rather interesting. But but you know that's a discussion for another time. Um, I you know it it it's, it would be great to see what an, another inker inker like Carl Kessel or someone. Mm-hmm would do with all this um but uh, you know what i'll say is this the first time i read all of these i was so immersed in it and just loved everything about it you know i don't i don't sit there and and pour over it like we do here and pick apart you know when we pick everything apart you know when you do your initial read you're just reading you're, you're just reading it and you're allowing the whole thing to just you know kind of 
envelop you and you, you get so much enjoyment out of that. What, nothing is going to survive the scrutiny that we put it through to, to be perfect. I mean, I, I'm sure that we could go through any of his books, a late Fantastic Four, early Superman, whatever it is. And we're going to find things that are going to, you know, we're going to go, hey, what about this? This is weird. But he's even, you know, ultra critical of his of his previous work, too. He can barely look at his Fantastic Four work because he, he finds a lot of it to be, uh, you know, not not his best work. That's that's weird. That I find that hard to believe that he. But I, I, I understand that, that you can, you know, if you're an artist, you can look at something and say that's not very good even though everybody around you is saying oh that's great I love it but right. you are like no I don't think so so yeah. yes, I mean, I, I, of the five issues that this is I think this is my favorite the first I enjoyed it more than there's parts of the second one where I can cover it but the parts of the second one I like a lot which I wish he had just taken a different direction the last three are a little more they feel more like his Frometti work Oh, yeah. This one I uh, well, this one I enjoyed it, a lot. Yeah, and and when we saw other alien races, I thought that that they suffered a lack of originality. Mm-hmm. But I liked some of the others, the vessels that he brought up in the later stories. I thought yeah. those were really good, and the way he handled the flashback segments in some of them was really cool. Um, I often worry, wonder when they use. Um, uh, you know, multiple alien races aboard the the actual starship. You know where where the ideas come from to use that because it seems like, you know, in the early series, the, in fact, as far as the Intrepid goes, that that was a ship that was comprised all Vulcan. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Enterprise had pretty much all human except for Spock in the original series, and Spock's half human. It wasn't until the motion picture that we actually saw a more integrated crew with aliens. Well, I think the animated series is really what first time yeah, you saw an alien. Morass and, yeah. The three-armed guy and the cat woman. But, Batman, yeah. Um, and and, and that's, a lot of that's just budget. You know, it, 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 you know, we can afford to put some pointy years on this guy, but we can't afford to do anything else. So... I can understand that, but it, it does seem to, it does seem to be like it was a kind of a Homo sapiens uh, ship. Yeah, yeah, that's and and that that's the way it's funny it's the way you say that because it made me think of Star Trek Six. I would, that's why I watched it recently. That's why I was uh, that's why, oh. I was, like, why I brought that up because she said that's a Homo sapiens, sapiens. only. Yeah, <laughs> uh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, you got anything else here? No, no, I thought it was a, a fun little read. Uh, it's not my favorite of his Star Trek stuff. I thought I, if I was, the, you know, if I was gonna like the Desert Island, his Star Trek stuff, I probably wouldn't pick this this series. I'd either pick the McCoy stuff or his Romulan stuff. I really like his Romulan stuff, but yeah, um, I, I really like that story an awful lot. Uh, I, I just, you know, the thing is, is that I just wish there was that that point where he said, "Okay, fine, I'll do a Kirk Spock McCoy story." Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in this frame of art, we're not going to get it. It's, we're going to get it with the Fumetti, which I'm enjoying. Yeah, yeah. But I still, I, I long to go back to this. Now, with his late, late work when he's been doing the uh, the coloring book and other things, he's his juices are getting a little bit more reinvigorated. And with the changes that are going on at, at the companies, both DC and Marvel, 
I'm wondering if there, if anyone there is going to extend the olive branch to say, hey, you want to come back and play in this sandbox? I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping that with uh, with his react, because he doesn't do he doesn't do uh, cons at all, and hope his re- his experience in this last con was very positive. So he got he got to meet more fans. So maybe that'll kind of bring him out. So that maybe he wants to come back and, I mean, you know, it wouldn't. He probably wouldn't do it. But if I don't think I don't think he's going to do any other cons unless it's going to be something like this where he right. can really sit there and say, "Well, let's do it this way." IDW apparently gives him a lot of leeway in the things that he wants to do and how he wants to do things. And it makes for a good partnership that way because when he goes to the big companies, DC or Marvel, um, and he wants, you know, he's working in the play, you know, the sandbox, Mm -hmm. there's always an editor or someone somewhere that's going to tell him, you can't do this or you must do this in a way that he doesn't want to do. And that's why he, you know, had such a hard time staying with him because they promise him one thing and then they make him do something else. Yeah. And that's and that I think that's the problem a lot of writers, artists have working with the big two, today that there are a lot of. I mean I know I've heard, I know when they launched the New Fifty Two, I was hearing a lot of stuff from uh, about DC. The editors were really uh, kind of driving people off because they were making changes, or they were uh, demanding something that was that was uh, unrealistic. That a lot of them were. It wasn't a very happy. I think relationship between the editors and the writers and artists when the new two showed up or launched, but yeah. but now the rebirth, there's even controversy there. In uh, was it Wonder Woman? Uh, One of the writers there recently left, parted, parted. Yeah, but uh, I'd have to look at that even more to find out exactly what happened. But I'm I know, I know that there's been a little bit of guff going on about that. I, yeah. and it's unusual that I'd actually hear about something like that because I don't seek it out. I don't want to hear, you know, I, 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 I'm trying to not find out how the sausage is made anymore because I found that over the years, especially as I get older, that it taints my ability to enjoy one thing or another because mm-hmm. of, 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 you know, these things. So when they sit there and start talking about celebrities doing this or doing that, I'm like, I don't want to hear this. You know, I, I try to put it at arm's length. Yeah. And same thing with the comic books. I mean, you know, um, I mean, there are people that could say all sorts of hateful, hurtful things about John Byrne, but I don't seek it out. I don't look for it, and so therefore I don't find it. Now, I will get on John Byrne's forum and hear him talking about how everybody on the internet just hates him. And I'm, I, I even wrote to him. I said, "Look, you know, I don't go out there to find it, and I don't come across it. Is it possible that we're getting a little?" myopic and how we view things on the internet and he, he does seem like he's got a little bit of a persecution complex now uh, yeah. yeah i don't know if that's that's justified i don't i don't think the world's out to get him but it, it maybe he's like you say he's so single-sided and and what he wants that which as they said probably works out great for idw because i bet I, I i'm sure they just say okay I want to do Star Trek. Okay, whatever. Just you know, give us your well, final uh, artwork, and we're going to print it. Yeah, here, give us, give us your artwork, and we'll print the money. Yeah, and 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 they realize that they've got that, but when it comes to DC and Marvel, you know, the thing is, there's so many arguments going on here. Number one, he's hard to work with. 
Well, it's because, you know, he wants things the way he wants it. Number two, he's old. He's, what, 66, 67? Something like that. And they said, they're saying the younger readers, they don't like his art. It's not that they don't like his art. They don't see his art to say whether they like it or not. But that's, you know, the thing, the common, that today, the artwork that's in comic books is so much more affected by the individual artist's own uh, style. That every artist, there's not a house style anymore for Marvel. Oh, no, no, not at all. And, or, or DC, for, you know, for that matter. And so all these artists have their own styles and such. And you, if you listen to a lot of the podcasts about modern books, you're going to find there are people that love some of them and the people that hate the same ones. And with Byrne, you know, you know he's had his style. It's changed a little bit over the 40 years, but he's been very consistent in it. For yeah, the most it hasn't changed the way, uh, I'd say, Frank Miller or right, right. John Romita Jr. has changed quite a bit. Uh, or Keith Giffen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are others that don't. You know, I'm the first one to pop to mind was like quietly. Uh, or Neil Adams. Neil Adams really hasn't changed uh, his art style. It's, I mean, I would put him on par with, with Byrne as, as to the changes. It's subtle. It's just some of his changes with age or just, you know, you can't help but be influenced by stuff that goes on around you and, uh, and, uh, and other art or just you draw differently as you go out. You know, you're going to progress. You're an artist. You're going to change. Right. But, but there are people, there are still people out there and we, ne- we never hear from them. But there are still people out there that love the work of Rob Liefeld, love the work of Todd Larson. Uh, you know, it's not Todd Larson. I'm sorry. Uh, Eric Larson? Eric Larson. Uh, I'm one of those. I like Eric Larson a lot. And see, the thing is, I, I liked McFarlane's work when it first came on the scene. I never, ever really cared a whole lot for Eric Larson's. Because to me, Eric Larson was basically, <clears throat> I, I want to be like McFarlane, but can't. So I'll make the lines a little thicker. Yeah, I can see that, but I, I think he came and kind of came into his own when he did Savage Dragon because mm-hmm. that, that just tells that looks like somebody who's just having fun. Yeah, he's, he he's just having fun drawing all this kind of wacky stuff, and I think it holds up better. Now McFarlane, I was a big fan of his Spider-Man stuff, but if you go back and look at it now, I don't think it holds up very well. No, it's, it's dated. Yeah, it just doesn't. And, and again, you know, he he made. You know, he made Peter look kind of like Peter, but Mary Jane didn't ever look like Mary Jane that we knew. You know. Now his his only to me his only his lasting contribution to that is he he came up with the uh, the kind of gooey intricate webbing. Webbing, yeah, yeah and well, and remember. and some of the great spider poses that he did were were just really really awesome. Well, yeah. Anatomically impossible, but yeah, probably. Yeah, and even his Hulk work, I enjoyed that. But going back now and looking at those stories, there's something missing from the McFarlane Hulks, and I'm 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 not sure what it is. I I actually like the the Jeff Purvey stuff that's later, and Jeff Purvey's art is just very. It's cool, but it's ugly. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I, if I'm gonna go do Hulk, I'm gonna either. Uh, I love the uh, the Del Keown run. Yeah, I love but, Del but, Keown's work. But, but Del Keown, you know, I think he was one of those guys that was aping Byrne more than anybody out there. It's I just, see him. Uh, it's just I everything. See, it looks like he took twenty pounds off of everybody in every frame. I see him aping Alan Davis more, uh, especially mm. his faces. I see more Alan Davis in 
Keown than Byrne. Maybe a combination of two. Because da- Davis always had a way of doing faces, especially women. He can draw really great women. Yeah, I think his name is pronounced Cowan. Is it but, Cowan? Is uh, that Keown? I think it's like it's Cowan. I think. Cowan? But I'm, man, now I'm gonna have to go look. I've been asking Keown my whole life. But... Well, that, anyway, that guy, that uh, guy. I'm sorry. No, I said that guy. <laughs> that guy. Okay. That guy. Uh, you got, uh, you got any you final got anything thoughts? Else? Uh, no. Well, no, I think that was. Um... Well, going forward, uh, I want to give you this to think about. So that, because uh, I think our next show is actually going to be kind of a uh, go over the mailbox, go over a couple other things rather than doing a book. And that's, that's a good idea. What, what, I, what I'd like to hit you with is these thoughts so you can sit there and think about it, percolate it, maybe write it down. The top five runs that John Byrne did. Stories or or books? Just, no, no, runs altogether. I mean, whether it's, you know, Fantastic Four, Superman, X-Men, you know, just the runs that he did on the various books, She-Hulk, Alpha Flight, you know, who knows what. Then... The top five individual stories. And I'm going to put in a little qualifier in here for you and for anybody else that wants to participate. You can pick one story from each run. And that can also include collaborations. So if you want to pick the Iron Man that he wrote, but John Romita Jr. did the art, mm-hmm. that's fine. If you want to do the Burn Claremont X-Men, that's fine. But if you're going to do a Burn Claremont X-Wing, you're going to pick your favorite one from that. And your other four are going to be from different runs. You know, is it from Generations? Is it from Power Man, Iron Fist? Is it from, you know, Fantastic mm-hmm. Four or Alpha Flight or uh, Next Man or, you know, uh, Doomsday Plus One? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. okay, so that that's two right there. That's two top fives. The top five burn runs and the top five uh, burn stories, individual stories. Like, is there one story, you know, what's, you know, the story out of the Fantastic Four? What's your story out of uh, Alpha Flight? What's your story out out of all the Superman stuff? Find your top five individual stories. And we can have honorable mentions. I got no problem with that. But we're just looking at the top five. Uh, after that, if we want, we could sit there, maybe come up with the top five Fantastic Four stories. Yeah, we or, could just know, we could just yeah. do yeah, just, just I mean, they could be a, a, a little short shows, you know, like like an hour, just kind yeah. of briefly go over, you know, whatever the right. top five is, and then and then if people have written in, kind of you know, we have to say, hey, we're gonna do our next show is gonna be top five, whatever. Exactly, exactly. Then, so then, so then our next our in. next show, yeah. So our next show is the top five burn runs and the top five burn stories. And again, you can only pick one story from each run and they can include the collaborations. Make sense? Uh, yeah. Do you want to just stick with just one or the other instead of doing the top I think we ought to do like b- both. For, we, we ought to do the bo- both for this next show because, I mean, as far as what, you know, we've got some – listener uh, email and uh, one review I think on iTunes but okay. not a whole lot but there's other things that we can catch up on and talk about um, so let's you know look forward to doing that real soon after this show you know goes up all right well uh, that I guess is our show proper today uh, we had a lot of fun going over Star Trek cruise shakedown um, 
coming up soon, like you said, uh, Indiana Jones. And so more, Star, more Star Trek, maybe a Fumetti book. We'll go back to do a Fumetti. Yeah, and I, I, I think down down the road here a little bit, I think there's one Superman, one issue of Superman that I'd like to cover up uh, coming up soon. Okay. All right. All right. Well, for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. And I am Tim Elliott. Thank you, and good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn.